All right, we continue our study on law and gospel. I said the last one was part 17 and then realized I had the numbering wrong. That was actually part... That was, I said 16, it was 17. This is 18, if I remember correctly. Yes, we're currently on part 18 of our study on law and gospel. The last hour, we spent a whole hour doing a law and gospel exercise on the book of Jude. We went through the whole book of Jude to identify what's law and what's gospel. Uh, this We're not going to go back and obviously review any of that. This morning, we go back and work on thesis number one. Now, if you have the Church One app or the Sermons 2.0 app, and you find us, and if you go to the series on Understanding Law and Gospel, and you scroll down, you'll see one uh, message entitled Law and Gospel PDF. There's a file attached to that. You just hit, click it, and it opens up the 25 theses right there in a PDF file. So that is there on the Church One app, Sermons 2.0 app. Uh, you don't necessarily need it, but if you want to look at it later, you definitely can. If you need me help me getting it for you, just let me know, and I can do that afterwards, all right? But that's on the Church One and Sermons 2.0. All right, now, thesis number one. Let's see if you remember what it is. Anybody remember thesis number one and our 25? If you look at the PDF file, it's, it's a shortened kind of reworded version, but here's the actual version. Here we go. Thesis number one. The doctrinal contents of the entire scripture, the entire Bible, the doctrinal contents of the entire Bible, both of the Old and New Testament, are made up of how many doctrines? Two key doctrines. And what is something very important to remember about these two doctrines? They differ fundamentally from each other. They're fundamentally different from each other. Meaning what? We're not, they're not the same. We're not to merge or confuse them. We need a proper distinction between them. Everybody got that? I cannot stress that enough, all right? So the entire Bible is made up of, of two key doctrines, all right? And what's the thing you want to know about these two doctrines? Fundamentally different from each other. And what are these two gospels? I just, I'm, I'm giving you the answer. What are these two doctrines? Law and gospel. Law and gospel. Everybody remember that? Yes? Okay. Then we talked about what the point of difference between these two, what they, what is not the point of difference between these two, right? And what we talked about that law and gospel, it's the, the difference is not that the gospel is divine and the law is human. They're both divine. Everybody remember that? Yes? Okay. Everybody should say amen. Okay, all right. All right. Number two, the difference is not that the gospel is necessary, or that the gospel is necessary, but not the law. That is not a correct way of understanding it. Both are what? Necessary. Both are necessary. All right? The, the, we, another thing that's not that is not a correct distinction, is nor can this distinction be admitted that the law is the teaching of the old while the gospel is the teaching of the new. That is not correct. Law and gospel is found where? In both old and new. All right? In both. And number four, nor do the, <clears throat> nor do the law and the gospel differ as regards to their final aim. Law and gospel, the distinction is not their final aim because what is the aim of both? Salvation. The law has to condemn where the gospel then saves, but the aim of both is salvation. In fact, it, we stated it this way. Um, 
Both have for their final aim man's salvation. Only, only the law ever since the fall cannot lead us to salvation. It can only prepare us for the gospel. For, furthermore, it is through the gospel that we... Have, uh, now, they talked about the ability to fulfill the law. It's the gospel that gives us the ability to fulfill the law in what way? How does the gospel give us the ability to fulfill the law? In Christ. Very good. In Christ. In Christ. Not in our action. Right? Everybody got that? And another difference, that's not true. It's not true to say that they contradict each other. They don't contradict. What do they do? They harmonize. They, they work together. All right? But they are distinct. Okay? Then we started talking about the true points of difference. Those are the ways in which they do. That's an incorrect way of understanding their difference. What is a correct way in understanding their difference? What was number one? The manner in which they are revealed. What is the difference between law and gospel as far as the way they are revealed to man? What is the, what is the, all right, the law is written on man's heart. The law is written on man's heart. Okay, that's how it's revealed. Everyone has an inner sense of wrong and right. Everyone does. I don't, you can abandon Christianity, but you're still going to walk around saying this is right and this is wrong, condemning this person, condemning that person, even though you claim you don't, you do. We, that's that. That's because there's a law written in our hearts. I don't have time to review all of that. We talked about it a very long time on Wednesday night. All right. So, and how is the gospel revealed? Okay, you could, we could say, we could, if we want to do this, if we really want to kind of work it, we could say in Christ, in Scripture, and in the proclamation of God's Word, if we really wanted to, to expand it theologically, all right? So that's, that's a true difference between them. What's the second difference? They differ in their contents. And what, what did we say in regards to their contents? All right, that's, the law tells us what we are to do. The gospel tells us what God is doing or has done in, on our behalf. Everybody remember that? All right. There's more we could say about it, but we don't have time. What was the third way that they're different? The promises. The promises. All right. And what did we say in regards to their promises? Okay, we'll say it this way. The law, what the law promises is just as great as what the gospel promises. Namely, everlasting life and salvation. But the point we are confronted with is a mighty difference. All promises of the law are what? Are made on the condition that we fulfill the law perfectly. All right? The law makes promises. What is a law promise? What is a law? Give me an example of a law promise. Do this and you get this. That's a law promise. It may promise salvation, but what's the condition for the law's promise of salvation? Keep the law. And remember, I cannot stress it. How must we keep the law? Perfectly. Personally. Exactly, entirely, 
perpetually, everyone, please get these down. You have to have these down. It's been in our confession of faith for 50 years, okay? Everyone needs to know these, okay? It's been right there. We have to keep the law personally, perfectly, exactly, entirely, perpetually. That's what the law demands. So whenever you mix, when you mix the two, what do you do? You turn the gospel into a promise of law instead of a promise of, well, the gospel. And churches do it continually. How do they do it? Do this, and if you don't, then you're probably not saved. Immediately, you just destroyed the gospel and turned it into law. And you're promising salvation based on what they do or don't do. You say, no, no, no. What I'm saying is, if you're saved, you will do that. But you're telling me, if I don't do that, I'm not saved. So you're telling me I have to do that in order to be saved. That destroys the gospel. Right? So everyone remembers, well, hopefully everyone remembers that, okay? All promises of the law are made on the condition that, uh, that the law is fulfilled perfectly. Accordingly, uh, the promises of the law are the more disheartening, the greater they are. The, the, the bigger and better the promise, the more disheartening they are, because what should your reaction be to every law promise? I can't get, I can't do it. 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 Okay, we'll try this. Go to Matthew chapter 5. All right? I know, I know those here on Wednesday are like, wait, 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 we've got to move on. I know, but I'm adding something to the review, all right? Sometimes I add to the review to help the people who have to... I got to catch up the people who, who don't listen and I got to give something for the people who are here. I got to try to please everybody. All right. So here we go. Matthew 5. Matthew 5, 6, and 7 make up what? Sermon on the Mount, one of the most abused passages of Scripture in the entire Bible. Oh, man. You talk about, you talk about someone needs to call the cops because this passage has been abused and mishandled in horrible ways. And how does the wonderful Sermon on the Mount begin? Blessed. Oh, wait, that's, everybody like that? Blessed. Is that a promise? Oh, it's a promise. Blessed. Everybody likes that, yes? You want to be blessed, yes? What's another passage that gives you a blessed kind of promise? Psalm 1, right? We like that. That's a promise of blessing. What's another way of talking about blessing sometimes? Some will refer to it as happy. Correct? It's a joy. It's a, it's a blessed state. Now, how many times is this promise of blessing found in Matthew 5? Go ahead and count them. A lot. Okay, that's, that's, that, that's the way I do math. Okay, all right. What's the answer? A lot. Okay. Okay, someone said nine. Someone was quick. Boom, someone was right there. Every time we count, we always end up with different numbers, which always cracks me up. Like, someone will be like 11, someone will be nine, and we'll just go, it's 10, okay? All right? Okay, at least nine, okay? Everybody count. I, I want you to, the reason, I don't ask the number because I need it. I ask the number because I want you looking to see it, okay, right? Just so that you know. Because I, I think sometimes people are like, well, he, he could count it himself. I, I don't need you to give me the number. I'm having you look at the scriptures. That's what I'm trying to get you to do, all right? It's for your benefit, not mine. All right? Everybody see? Count? 
Okay, now I got at least 10, okay? We got a, come on, throw another number out. Okay, because right, you looked up blessed and counted. See, look at that. Look at that. Using technology, right? Nobody needs to look at their Bible anymore. Okay, all right. That, all right, okay. Well, you got the answer. Okay, that's, but that's good. All right, so we have blessed. Now, what's the first one? Where's the first one up here? Matthew 5. Verse 3, all right? Verse 3. Read it for me. All right, blessed are the poor in spirit. Now, there, there's, a ble- there's a promise, right? What's the promise? Well, blessed, there's the, the promise of blessed, right? But there's another promise there. Theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Wow, that's a great, does everybody love that? Don't you want the kingdom of heaven? What kind of promise is this? It's condi- Oh, the minute you see conditional, what do you know you're reading? Law. This is straight up law, everyone. So if, they, if you're going to get the kingdom of heaven, what must you be? Poor in spirit. Now, some of you, I, I, I think I got that down. I think I got that down. Okay, all right. Well, we'll just stay with it. Number two, next, next uh, promise. Verse four. Blessed are those who mourn, they'll be comforted, okay? We have the blessing concept there again, and then the, the comfort. All you have to do is mourn. We possibly could pull that off, but what, what kind of questions would we have to ask? How much mourning and what am I mourning about? Okay, well, probably, that's probably going the right direction, okay? But go to the next one. Let's keep going. Oh, there's a promise of inheriting the earth. That sounds really good. But you have to be meek. Oh, man. Whew. What does it mean to be meek? Someone look up the definition for meek. I'm going to see if I pull this one off or not. Let me see. I'm pretty meek, I think, right? Okay, uh, Bobby doesn't think I'm meek. Okay, what? That's me! Am I not mild and gentle? Don't you get that... Feeling whenever you hear me talk? What? Okay. Am I easily imposed upon? Okay. Am I, what? Are y'all saying this is not me? So you're telling me I don't inherit the earth. Oh, okay. So I, I'm assuming all of you guys are going to inherit the earth and I'm going to end up somewhere else. Any other meek people here? Okay, keep going. Okay, all right, I see how this is. It's, y'all going to use this to judge me. Y'all are doing perfectly right as a good law-based minded people. Okay, okay, next. Okay, so I, got, I got like three different things there. Okay, what, what's the next one? Blessed for those who hunger and thirst after righteousness. They shall be filled. Okay, so I got blessed and filled. But all I have to do is what? Hunger and thirst after righteousness. Whoa, okay. How many here do that? Now, come on. Hunger and thirst. Now, you know, when you hunger and thirst for something, about how long do you go without? I mean, I walk into the cabin. Oh, no food! No food! Come on! I gotta, 
I got a DoorDash immediately. Get it here soon. I don't go very long, right? Now, do you hunger and thirst after righteousness? Come on. Okay. All right. Maybe you guys are looking at me like, hey, you don't act like that when you don't have food. I do. Okay. But all right. All right. Next. All right. Does everybody like the I promise of mercy? That sounds really good. I just have to be merciful. Hmm. Let's see. I think I'm... I think I'm merciful. Kinda. Maybe. Maybe for people I think who deserve it. Say so immediately that kind of just destroyed the concept, right? Right? Come on, how merciful are you guys? Okay, all right. Next, let's keep going. Oh, does everybody want the promise of seeing God? Okay, everybody should be like, I want that promise. Because the opposite of seeing God is not seeing God, and not seeing God equals an eternity of punishment. Nobody wants that. Everybody likes that. All I have to do is be. I got that one down. Okay, I'm lying, people. Okay, I'm lying. Do what? I'm so humble and meek and merciful. Okay. Are you starting to see now a problem? Now, how are these always preached? Do these things. This is the way you're supposed to live. Those promises are great. But if you're honest with those promises, by the time you get to the end of them, what should it be? You should be discouraged and depressed. Like, I'm never going to see God. I'm never going to inherit the earth. I'm never going to get any of these things. And, and so, yeah, how do we typically... Well, I mean, it's not that you're going to be pure in heart. It's like you just desire... Stop making your excuses. The Beatitudes condemns all of us to hell. Who is the blessed person in the Beatitudes? Christ. Does he fulfill all of those? In Christ, guess what? So do we. The law is dep- the law's promises are can be amazing, but they are depressing because we don't fulfill them. It's amazing how the Beatitudes are preached. It's, it's amazing how the entire Sermon on the Mount is preached. It's, a, it's bizarre to listen to sermons. It's like, what is happening to this text? Well, yeah, it's basically preached as the law. We'll do it, right. And we, yeah, we need, to, we, need to, we need to bring that text into this series in at a, at a bigger way at some point because it's so important. But we won't do that right now. So everybody understand the, the, the law makes great promises. Yes? But what does it lead us? Leads us broken and disheartened and sad. All right? The greater the promise, the more depressing it gets. 
Because we can't do it. All right? And if anyone acts like they can't, if, if you get into any argument with someone, just don't, look, don't give them an inch. Say, okay, okay, let's go with your logic. Law is required. It must be personal, perfect, exact, entire, and perpetual. Is any of, the, any of those beatitudes, does that describe you as perfect, exact, entire, and perpetual? No. So therefore, you wouldn't get any of those beatitudes. Therefore, you're not the blessed person. You're not going to see God. You're not going to inherit the earth. You're all going to hell. Thank you for coming. Everyone have a great day. You say, but in Christ, I am all of those things. Not in action, but in what? Position. All right. Is that, that's, very, that's good, right? The law offers us food, but does not hand it down so we can reach it. It says to us, I will quench the thirst of your soul and appease your hunger, but is not able to accomplish this because it always adds the following. All of this you shall have if you do what I command. We will never have any of it because we will never do what is required of us. That's how come we have to rely on Christ. So whenever you, whenever you see a promise in the it's just amazing how people will like, they'll have like 365 promises for every day of the year. And some of those promises are straight law. But they'll walk around like, oh, I can do these. Like you are not, you no. Know, either one, we remove the condition Right? And just think the promise is ours. Some of the promises is to condemn you. Because you can't have what's being promised in yourself. All right. What was the next? Uh, so everybody got that one? What's, what was the next way? So let's go through these again. The way the law and uh, gospel differ. Number one is the way they were revealed. Number two, their contents. Number three, their promises. And then that brings us to the next one. The threats. We did not cover this on Wednesday, did we? We have not. All right. Okay. The fourth difference between the law and the gospel relates to threats. The gospel contains no threats at all, but only words of consolation or comfort. Whenever in Scripture you come across a threat, you may be assured that the passage belongs in the law for the law is nothing but threats. There's always some kind of threat. Hey, you can't have this unless you do this. It's a threat. If you don't do this, you are condemned. That's a threat. All right? T- take your Bibles to Genesis. We'll do this really quick. Speaking of hunger, my stomach is growling because I'm hungry. I need, I need to door dash something right now, okay? All right. Okay. But it's not righteousness. It's food, okay? All right. I'm not, I know everyone's appalled, okay? Because oh, we're in church. I'm supposed to say Jesus, right? Okay. But no, I'm hungering and thirsting for food, okay? All right, here we go. All right. See who can find it. Find me the first law in Genesis. 
Go. The first law. Who can find it first? I'm not telling you what it's related to. I'm just telling you to find it. Okay. Who can find it first? Whoever finds it first gets $100,000. No, I'm joking. Look at that. Come on. What's up with you older people, man? Well, come on. Emma's just beating us in everything. All right, come on. All right. I know. I know. Okay. What does it say? Read it, Emma. There it is. You see the law? What's the law? Don't eat. Well, where's the threat? You'll die. Right? See the threat? See the law? See the threat? If it's a threat, it's law. If there's any kind of threat, it's a law passage. It's not gospel. Now, what's the hope of that threat? Well, look, here's what happened. There was a law, and what, what's the inevitable result of law? Disobedience. Okay? The inevitable result of law is what? Disobedience. disobedience. The law always brings about disobedience because we always break it. Everybody got that? We always break it. We always break it, every single time, in some way, shape, or form. And so because we break it, then there's a threat. The gospel comes along and does not offer a threat. It says that Christ paid for it. Christ forgives. Christ gives mercy. You've got, whenever you see that, I mean, that, that should be the easiest one to figure out in Scripture. When you see a threat... All right? When you see a threat, you should know that's law. Everybody got everybody okay with that one? All right. So, let's go through these again. I want to have every, I want to make sure we get we're going to finish this this morning. All right? Here we go. Or this afternoon or tomorrow. Whenever I'm going to get done with this. All right? Here we go. The true points of difference between law and gospel. Number 1, how they are revealed. I want to make sure everyone's on the same page. All right. I, I'm almost going to have you take out a piece of paper and we're going to give you a test, all right? We will at some point. Here we go. Everybody ready? I want to make sure everybody can say this. Everyone. Because I'm telling you, I'm going to give you a piece of paper and we're going to do a test at some point. Here we go. You think I'm joking, but I'm not, okay? The Pierce's know I'm not joking because at some point we, we've done tests before, so we'll do them again. All right, here we go. Everybody ready? How is law revealed? In the heart of man. The law has always been inside of you. That's how come you normally think in what way? Law. You think from a law-based perspective. When you hear gospel, you immediately go, what? I got to do something. Are you telling me I don't have to do anything? You can hear when people hear gospel, they get bothered, they get irritated. Because we're law-based. And you all know you're law-based. Right? just, Just spend the week, all this coming week, Listening to how much law is spoken in your home. Lots of law. Lots of rules. Do this. Don't do this. Do this. Don't do that. Well, I'll do this for you if you do this for me. Da-da-da-da-da-da-da. Wait, what? It's just condemnation, law, judgment. I mean, it's just there. Do what? Threats. Threats. I mean, there's everything. It's law everywhere. Whatever it takes. Right? Whatever it takes. By any means necessary, Okay? To quote Malcolm X. And by, by any means necessary. That, that's where we end up, right? We're law-based. 
it's, it's the most amazing thing to me. You, again, you can take someone like, I hate Christianity. It's too judgmental. Boom, 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 boom. And then they make judgment, judgment, judgment. I'm like, I thought you thought Christianity was judgmental. Everyone is judgmental because there's a law inside of us. All right. So where is it revealed? Hearts. No. Where's the gospel revealed? Three. Christ. Scripture. And the preaching of the gospel. All right. Everybody got that? That's simple. All right. Good. All right. Number two. Contents. What's the contents of the law? Do this. What's the contents of the gospel? What Christ has done is doing for us. Everybody got that? Number three, promises. The law makes promises, but they are conditional. The gospel makes promises and no conditions, right? And some people think the gospel's uh, promises are conditional, but just make sure we understand this. The, pro- the gospel promises salvation to those who believe, but what does the gospel do? Gives us the faith to believe. Remember, salvation is all a work of God. All right. If not, it becomes a work of man, and therefore it becomes law, not gospel. That's, how, that's the number one reason why I can't, be, I can't buy into the Arminian view. Because then the gospel is something I do. And if it's something I do, then it's not gospel, it is law, so then I am saved by my works. And what would be my works? I believed! But why did I believe? God gave me faith. Alright? So, does everybody understand that? Alright, threatenings. Alright, everybody understands the threatenings? Alright, we only have two to go. Alright, we should make it. Two to go. Here's number five. They are different. The, the true distinction as regards the function and the effect of either doctrine. The fifth point of difference between law and gospel concerns the effects of these two doctrines. All right, I lied. We're not going to be able to do both. Okay, I lied. I wanted to get to number six, but this one is going to require too much time. All right. Ah, oh, I don't like that. Okay, here we go. Everybody got thinking caps on? The effects of the preaching of the law. Now remember, the difference is between the, uh, the, the uh, concerns, the effects of the two doctrines, right? So we, the, there's a different effect in these two. So what we need to understand is the effect of the preaching of the law. When the law is preached, there's a threefold effect. effect. Right, what do you think they are? Number one, the law tells us what to do, but does not enable us to comply with its commands. It rather causes us to become more unwilling to keep the law. The preaching of the law tends to affect us in making us more unwilling. (laughs) That's nuts, isn't it? This should be taught in every seminary. I, I, I did in the last hour, talked about my struggles as a pastor. Couldn't, can't get people to do basic things like, I don't know, a 15-minute devotional. It's almost like the more I called people to do it, what happened? The more unwilling people became. Why? Why does the law make us more unwilling? Okay, say it. 
we got a sinful nature. And what does the sinful nature do when it hears law? Whoa, what are you talking about? Or, whatever. I, I can't do the eye roll like teenagers can, but I, I could try. I don't have any hair to throw aside, but whatever. Whatever. Whatever, Mom. Whatever. But y'all, y'all, you guys do that. Whatever. Yeah, he wants me to do a devotional. Sure. Yeah. Study the Bible. Oh, yeah. I'll show him study the Bible. I won't even come to church tonight. Yeah, I'll show him. Right? Okay, well, we've all been there, right? Isn't that a crazy effect? The law of God makes us unwilling. It says do this, but what does it not give us? It doesn't give us the ability. And this is where Christians are so messed up in the head. Because we think we can pass some law to make an ungodly world live godly. The law just makes them more unwilling. That's why Christian nationalism is insane. You can't fix society that way. Does that make sense? All right, nobody liked that one. Everybody got quiet there. Okay, all right. That that probably tells me something. Okay, in the second place, the law uncovers... The law uncovers to man his sins, but offers him no help to get out of them and thus hurls man to despair. So if you think about it, law creates, we can write it this way. Number, the first effect, law creates rebellion. And second, it creates despair. Why do you become, why do you become frustrated? You can't do it. Have you ever been in a situation where they keep telling you to do something and you're like, I can't do this. Now, sometimes we use that as an excuse, right? Okay. To me, the law, if, if, I'll just give it's, it's basically mathematics is a good example of the law, right? Because the more you give me a math, more math problems you give me, the more unwilling I am to do the next. Okay, and it leads me to total despair and even wanting to show up to school. All right? I can relate to it in that way. Maybe you can, you can find some way. There's things that you can relate to. Right? There's things you can relate to. You're like, what are you? I can't do that. I can't. Now, sometimes it's an excuse. But sometimes you may literally lack the ability in this particular case, you do. And just so, just imagine your whole Christian life how many laws you've been given in preaching. Now, typically, what just happens is you find a nice little complacent way to live your life, which is whatever. I'm not going to do half of that. I'm going to do what I want to do. And everyone just kind of meets in the middle. And it's like, okay, as long as they don't do anything really bad. Who cares if they don't really love God? Who cares if they don't study the Bible? Who don't, we won't really care about that. We'll just be happy and content with this. Because if you're not, you find yourself in despair. Now what Christians should do is be brought to despair. It should be like, why don't I love God? Why don't I want to read the scripture? Why don't I want to do these things? But typically we're just like, ah, whatever. As long as I don't commit the big one, we're all good. We, Christians love to find themselves in a happy place of disobedience. As long as we're not committing a big scandalous sin, we're all good. It's like, it's like we are like, okay, hey, we're good, right? 
We're not going to read. We're not going to study. We don't really care about things of God. We may, we may be here. We may not be here. We're all good. And everybody has an agreed upon level of mediocrity, complacency. And the only thing that can rock the boat is a big sin. All the small sins are good. Because if we were honest with ourselves, we'd be in a constant state of despair. Now what's sad is we convince ourselves that we're somehow doing enough to prove we're saved, which I don't know. what. what, Because what we should come to the conclusion is that no one is saved apart from Christ. The law leads to, affects us in the way of bringing about rebellion and it brings about what else? Despair. What do you think the third thing? Now, the third one, we could have a debate here, but in the third place, the law produces contrition. It conjures up the terrors of hell, of death, of the wrath of God, but it has not a drop of comfort to offer the sinner. We're going to change the word contrition. It leads to depression. Makes you want to give up. It's like, what? I'm tired of trying. This is garbage. This is... This is, forget this. I struggled with this as a teen, when I was a a Christian teenager. I was like, what? Y'all have given me more rules I didn't even know existed. I mean, I go, in my home, I had no rules. Come home if I want to, do drugs, sure. Like, sell drugs, whatever, right? I mean, like, I did whatever I wanted to do. There was good things about that. There were bad things about that. And I become a Christian, and it's like, Wait, I can't listen to this? Wait, I can't go here? Wait, I can't. And it's like they gave me like, boom! And I'm like, that is a lot of rules. This is insane. So I'm like, okay, I'm going to do this. I'm going to follow all of them. I'm going to be the best person ever. <laughs> it didn't last very long. I think, I think I'd broken all the rules from the time I left the church the night I got saved before I got home, which is only about a five-minute drive, okay? I think I'd broken them all just in this short drive. And I was like, this is crazy. And so I got, I got depressed. I, I, I thought it possibly I had a demon. I, I, try, I couldn't figure out what was... Why do I keep messing up? And they kept telling me, you can do it! Yeah, they should have told me that. It should lead to depression. But most Christians never feel depressed. They just keep walking around thinking that they're good enough. And you know what that proves? That we're not allowing the law to do its work. Remember, tomorrow is October 31st. It's not trunk or treat day. It's Reformation day. Right? Everybody wants to argue about Halloween. I just, just remember the Reformation, okay? The Reformation. And the Reformation is about one man who was so broken over the law, he had no hope. He didn't know what else to do. He kept going to confession over and over and over and over and over and over and over. And he would leave confession and be like, oh, I forgot that sin. He'd go back to confession and leave like, oh, I forgot another sin. And they were like, go away! Why do they say go away? Because nobody acts like that. You know why? Because Christians, we just all are comfortable in our sin. Don't get too bothered by it. 
But the law should lead us to complete despair. That's the effects of the law. What are the effects of the law? Three. Rebellion, despair, depression. All right? What's the effects of the gospel? All right? In the first place, gospel, when demanding faith, offers and gives us faith uh, in that very demand. When we preach to people, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, God gives them the faith. He gives them the faith. We preach faith and, well, he's the one who gives. So the effects of the gospel is entirely different. It's this. Basically this. What the gospel calls for, God provides. So provision. The effects of the gospel is provision. I'm, gonna, I'm changing up the way he writes it. Okay. Well, well we, we could possibly get to that, yeah. But the main thing, it provides. What the gospel demands, it provides. Right? The gospel calls for faith, it gives faith. The gospel calls for repentance, it gives repentance. It, it takes care of it all. Does that make sense? All right. Second. The second effect of the gospel is that it does not at all reprove the sinner, but takes all the terror, all fear, all anguish from him, and fills him with peace and joy. So the first thing is provision. The second is peace and joy. That's the effects of the gospel. Peace and joy. Why? Because all of your guilt, all of your fear, all of your despair is taken away from you. Now, I don't like the way the book has it written here because, once again, they do what... This happens in every discussion about law and gospel is Christians cannot get away from it because we, also, we always fall into this trap that, hey, the gospel gives you basically the ability to do all the good things, and that's where he goes. And that makes no sense to me because that destroys the whole argument. All right? So here's the... I'll say the... So we'll go with this. The effect of the gospel... I'm going to say provision... Right? And I'm going to expand the idea. Because really, in the third point, that's kind of where he's going. He doesn't really establish it very good in the first point, but I'm just going to put the two together. All right? Here's what I want to make sure you understand. The gospel provides. And what does it provide? Everything the law demands. For example, the law demands what kind of obedience? Everybody say it with me. Personal. Okay. Personal. Everybody say it. Personal. Perfect, exact, entire, perpetual. That's what it demands. In Christ, all of that is provided to us. In the gospel, all of that is provided. Perfect, personal obedience, exact, entire, and perpetual. Because whose obedience becomes my obedience? Christ. Christ. Right? Does that make sense? That's awesome. If it... If it calls for faith, it provides the faith. If it calls for holiness, it provides holiness. Everything is provided in the gospel. Right? So the effect of the gospel is provision, and the second is peace and joy. The book just goes into the, the hey, what the, the gospel will give you everything you need to live a godly life, to be holy. To, but it doesn't, we know it doesn't work that way because we don't, we're never holy. Yeah. And not, yeah, not in that way. All right. 
We'll stop there because of time. All right. So, just quickly. The, the true difference between law and gospel. Number one. The true difference between law and gospel is in how they are revealed. What's the difference? Law is revealed on the heart. Gospel is revealed in Christ. Scriptures and preaching. Number two. Contents. What's the contents of the law? Do this. Don't do this. What's the contents of the gospel? What Christ is doing and has done. Next difference? Promises. The promises of the law are wonderful. But they're conditional. The gospel's promises are awesome and they are provided, right? They're there, okay? Next, threats. The law's threats are horrible, right? And the gospel makes no threats, okay? Next, the effects. What's the effects of the law? Rebellion, despair, and depression. What's the effects of the gospel? Provision, everything the law demands, it is provided, and joy and peace, or peace and joy. All right, I'll leave it right there. I want you this week and today, just just listen to how law-minded you are. How law-minded you are. And I wish, I wish we weren't that way, but just try to be more gospel-minded. At least think that way. Try to think more gospel-minded. And I know that leads to lots of questions, but I'm just telling you, we have to become more gospel-minded as, as believers. We have to. All right, let's pray. Lord God, we come before you this afternoon. These truths and this doctrine is so important. I hope that we will not just forget it as we leave, but give much thought and consideration to it and convict us for all the ways we've fallen short in this distinction and help us be more gospel-minded believers because that's our only hope and our only comfort. And we ask this in Jesus' name. And God's people said...